cliffcentral.com. Well, if we had to interview just the legends of various, you know, silos in South Africa, various industries, various arts, various considerations, various contributions to South Africa, this man would be in the, the, the top, on the top of the list of people in theater in this country who've really done an absolutely sterling job over a long and prolific career. In fact, um, if you look on Wikipedia, they describe him as being arguably South Africa's preeminent playwright after Athel Fugard. That's no slouch. Paul Slabolevsky is a prolific writer and performer. He was a founder, member of Space Theatre, which was South Africa's first non-racial theatre company. He did that with Athel Fugard, with Yvonne Bryceland and John Carney in 1972. And ever since then, he has not only been doing serious and important things in theatre, but he's been entertaining us properly on television and on the stage for the longest time. It's very good to have you here, sir, and what a pleasure to have you in our studio. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Thank you, Paul. So how are you, first of all? Last time we caught up was probably a couple of years ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking old. You're looking uh, well, good. Just, <laughs> just keep, keep on going. No, no, things are great at the moment. In fact, I'm very busy. I mean, I've got a new play opening at Hilton in a couple of weeks, as well as Palace. That I wrote yes, in 82. we'll talk about Palace just yeah. now because that's a that's a, a, a revival. Yeah, it's a revival. So, like, what's it? Forty? How many? Is, what's that? 42, 41 years or something? <laughs> Crazy. I mean, it's hard to think that you're jumping around the stage forty-one years ago Jeez. and uh, doing it again for the first time back in Joburg. So, I mean, let's start with something which I think we we left off with last time because. You've, you're, you're synonymous with so many things in South Africa. And when people see your face, they go, oh, wow, can't possibly be that he's written something new. You're always writing new things. Yeah. You're always doing new things. You haven't lost your love of it at all, have you? Uh, 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 no, it's just I love storytelling. So I find a new story. I mean, I'm working with Trolley Man at the moment. Yeah. I work with these trolley guys and I'm writing a, a Trolley Man movie, actually, not a play. About these guys are the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. rubbish trolleys yeah, on I mean, the. Yeah, it's a very f- South African thing, here. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't happen I mean, anywhere else in the world. No. And it's it's fascinating, the lives, you know, and the different, also, the, the guys who've got university degrees and then guys who sweep streets. And so it's, it's fantastic. Um, and, um, and so I'm always looking for stories and just enjoying telling them, you know, meeting new people and hearing their stories. So talking about stories, um, your story is actually a fascinating one. And I don't want us to just talk about what you're doing at the moment yeah. today, because it's always nice to do a little bit of a retrospective. And with you, there's plenty of material. Yeah, I didn't know that you originally wanted to get into radio. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's a funny thing at UCT called to be a broadcasting. Yeah? Oh, shit, you know, Jesus, I should have brought it up. I threw it away <laughs> yesterday because I'm, I'm moving out of my study now and yeah. I found this assessment from the Cape Town Studios, SABC. <laughs> oh, shit. The ones there on C-Point. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tore it up because of the, this is such shit. It said that my... <laughs> no, the, those are the things you must keep. Where they I give know, you, They give you a bad review. A bad review. What did they say? <laughs> well, they said that my, 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 I projected too much on the mic. I know. Um, yeah, and then my standard English wasn't that hot. Well, I came from the Limpopo Valley, so what can you expect? Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Yeah. And um, a couple of things, and it's almost like, no, he, he won't succeed. But I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, so it didn't matter, you know. I mean, I wasn't going to be a, a, a sort of conventional SAFM kind of person. I was interested in being the new <laughs> Charles Fortune. Oh, yeah, he was yeah. a voice. Huh? Yeah, he was. He was a cricket commentator, yeah, wasn't that's he? that's right. He was like 
one of the best in the world. Everyone knew Charles Fortune. You know, wow. always went. You know, and the seagulls fly over the Sydney Cricket Ground. He was just a, oh, wow. He, he went on till he was about eighty-six until he get he got the batsmen mixed up and stuff. You know, and the bowlers. Wow. And then they said, "Listen, Charles, you better leave now." But um, and I, that's what I wanted to do, and and that's how I got to the drama school. Thing because we had to go to UCT campus at Heading Hall. The little so theater. acting was like your second choice. Well, no, when I got there, because I mean, I've never met anyone who, who would have put radio first except for you, <laughs> and you ended up not doing it. No, well, look, I mean, I was um, radio is usually where people go when they can't get anything else to work. Yeah. So, I mean, you went about it the the opposite way. Look, but I was I was a kind of a journalist when I was at school. I played every sport going. And that's mm. why I was going to be a sports commentator. Right, and. Um, I, I, I was writing for the Northern Review in Petersburg when I was 16 years old because sure. they had no reporter. So I was reporting on all the games. So whenever I had to, you know, I scored goals. I couldn't be this whole, I couldn't use my name. So I'd say the left wing scored brilliantly from the corner flag. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, and, and so that's what I wanted to do because I only knew sport, no drama, no nothing, no culture whatsoever. I grew up in a cultural backwater. You know, the right-wing areas of the country, Bank, Messina, Petersburg. It was – and that's why a lot of my plays dealt with – deal with racism, especially from those days, because of the things I saw and experienced, you know. And what did did your family think of you at that point going into something that was – like a bit of a soft. Well, my dad wanted me to be an engineer, you see, and I yeah. said, "Listen, please let me." Do he was it. Polish. Yeah, Polish. Right. Yeah, he was an engineer. He was he was a Polish refugee to England. No, no, he originally. was a pilot, Spitfire pilot. He was in the really. Yeah, he was in the Polish arm of the Royal Air Force. Jeez, you know he was, what? He flew planes planes in Poland until they had no more planes, yeah. and then he was a prisoner of war and he escaped from Romania and got, just wanted to get to England to fight to fight in the war. Listen, and, I often say to people. Unless you've actually heard from Polish people what happened in 1939, there are these unbelievable stories. You're a storyteller. You could probably do this better than me. Mm. But these stories about these Polish families who found armor from the 1500s, put it on, got on horseback and rode with lances out to meet the Blitzkrieg. cavalry. I mean, you… Yeah, they rode on their horses. Can you imagine anything more noble, more brave than, you know, these incredible… Proud people yeah. who were just steamrolled that's, by that German war that's machine. That's what they could do, yeah. My, my, my dad's story, he was 19 years old, and he tells the story of it was at his house and his mother came out to the front door. He was in his uh, Air Force uniform. The truck came past, jumped on the truck, and off he went. And he didn't see her for 30 years. You know? But she made it. Um, she made she it. She survived. She, she survived, but his father had died in the meantime. But he was 19 when he left. And then so he was flying in England at age 20 already. You know, it's crazy. It's like, yeah. So, you know, so, so the, that's – and then, and then he, he didn't – England was a bit tough to the Poles after the war. Still is. Yeah, it still is to foreigners. Um, they were great. They were heroes. They saved Britain in the, you know, in the, in the Battle of Britain, in the Spitfires and the yeah, Hurricanes. Abs- absolutely. So he was one of the pilots in, in the, the Battle of Britain. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, he wasn't flying at that Unreal. stage. Um, but um, uh, and then after the war, he said, "Like, what are they going to do?" And I mean, it's a story that I always tell. I'm writing a memoir about it, you know. Beautiful. And our time with Billy and uh, my, my whole career. But um, he had a, my, my grandfather's hat, and he put uh, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and America, USA, South Africa into the hat, little pieces of paper, and he went, 
my mum put her hand in, pulled out South Africa. I mean, I could have been in Chicago. I could have been in Australia. You might have, you might have had, you know, more people who appreciated theatre if you'd gone. To yeah, if I'd gone there. But also, if I'd gone to the states, I would have been perfect age for the Vietnam War. Because oh, wow. you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the immigrants went to Vietnam, and uh, so if I'd gone to Chicago, then I'm, isn't it amazing? And and. You know, you must think about this a lot more than I do because you, you've you've got like life experience under the belt that I still have to get. But yeah. you think about these chance encounters with fate and how your dad pulled a, a country out of a hat that. and that's how you ended up here yeah. and the contribution you've made to South Africa ever since. The fact that you're about as South African as anybody I know. <laughs> yeah. Like you've even helped to define things in South African culture. Dori reminded me when we were waiting for you to arrive about – in the center, Mr. Fenter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still people who say, they don't know where it comes from now, but they say it, and you invented yeah. that. It's funny, you know, the guys are rehearsing Palace now at the moment. I was there with the read through on Tuesday, and the guy says, You say GCM, you know, GCM. Frosty keeps saying GCM. What is GCM? <laughs> I said, Geez, I can't remember. So, anyway, so old um, Charlie Googles it. It says Paul Slabelepsi, 1982. So it's Google. You invented it. It says it there. And it's, yeah, it says, I brought it back to pop prominence. It was, um, it's, it's. Uh, well, you couldn't say Jesus. Yeah, it was like OMG today. GCM right, is right. like, I think it's Jesus, God, and Mary or something. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, it's the same thing like GCM, Vince, you can't do that. So it's interesting that it. <laughs> but you have. I mean, th these are not small things. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. you, you can be humble about it. But the yeah. fact is, for. For South Africans to be using these catchphrases, yeah. these these terms, which mm. you had a hand in inventing, is no yeah, small yeah. thing. It's made us a unique yeah. And, yeah. And, and culturally yeah. very diverse and interesting country. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting also kind of the slang of the day, you know, like tune me and I'm going yeah, you you, know, you level did that the too. gravel and all of these kind level of – Level with the gravel. Level, you, you know, know my dad used to say that to me too. That's also yeah. one of yours. No, 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 no. That's what you all said. But I'm saying it's you know that that language still remains. Look, like even I'm if you didn't, it, even if you didn't invent it, because yeah. of the work that you did on screen and on well, stage, it made it yeah. kind of derisure. And, you know? and, and 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 like in the center, Mr. Fenton, where's the cheese obes? All of those. <laughs> in fact, that was me and Billy. We we did that INJ Steakhouse Melts thing. Yes, uh, we did the copy. They gave us this copy, and it was so boring. So after when we'd finished, we shot the whole thing in about an hour, and we said, "Listen, can we do our own version?" And the, all, everyone looked at each other, and the copywriters looked a bit. Oh shaky. boy! And the ad agency. Yeah, and they looked, and they said, and the, and the director said, "Now come on, let's shoot it." And we shot it, and of yeah. course, that's what came out. I mean, when the guys are playing golf, so good. Golf tournaments around the world, they say that ball is in the center, Mister Fenter, and I said, that's us. That is not. That's spectacular. <laughs> it is. It's like, that's and we no weren't for that, by the way. Yeah. These copywriters get a fortune. You know, you mentioned. <laughs> Bill Flynn, and yeah. again, there's someone who I always associate in my mind. I always put you two together. Yeah, you did so many years of work together. Yeah, and it's been a while now. He died in 2007. Uh, yeah, 2007. That's right. It's been but a yes. long time, but I still, I, I had to like check myself before we started this interview and I think, can't believe it. Yeah. like, how long has it been? Yeah, yeah. We met at drama school. We were both 18. We were the only the first rugby players at UCT drama school. Because no the, rugby The player. twain did not mix. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we became mates because cause I was saying, geez, I'm arrived at drama school and, okay, there are a lot of wonderful babes around. In fact, Rosie van der Gutte was the professor. I thought that Billy and I were just there for the for The, the chicks, girls. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah you might girls. have been. Yeah, well, <laughs> half of it's true. But anyway, <laughs> and, um, and, but, but, and so, 
we both played rugby. He played for False Bay. I played UCT under 20. And, um, and so that's when we met. And we both went to the space together. He came up to Joburg a bit later than I did. But for 40 years, we just created mayhem. We did our own stuff. We did, made movies. We Do you miss him? Oh, yeah. I used to miss him kind of every day. It's not as bad as that now. But for about three or four years. That's just because your memory's going. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I used to get very emotional, you know. I'm sure. Um, Look, I still think of Bill quite often. And it's weird. I have dreams every now and again. Once every three or four months, I dream and there's Billy. And I'm going, it's weird. You're around, but you're supposed to be not here, you know. So it's kind of weird. It's very weird. But but look, you have 40 years. eh? In the 40 years that we did all the stuff in South African theatre, we we were in contact. We never had two weeks in all those 40 years where we weren't making contact. So we're either working together thousands and thousands of hours at night on stage, uh, in rehearsal, um, doing radio, doing sure. movies, doing television. Yeah, so, yeah, just crazy. It's amazing how the, the, those sort of partnerships seem to happen. You yeah. know, I mean, in, in IT, they always talk about Hewlett and Packard, who yeah. started the first computer business yeah. um, back in the day. They're all these great collaborations, Fry and Laurie, you know, yeah. from, a, from a comedy yeah. point of view in, in the UK. And you can yeah. go through compendia yeah. of these yeah, things. Yeah, and yeah. it's interesting how, like, people often with, who are quite different, I mean, yeah. you, you two are certainly very different looking, <laughs> you brought different things to the, to the shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it just seems to work better when they're two. And it's easier and it flows. And then, of course, you can go on like Lennon and McCartney eventually did their own thing. But in the beginning, it was essential that they were together. Yeah, that partnership, I mean, it was almost unstoppable. You know, I mean, the heel against the head, the rugby play. I mean, we ran that three or four years. We did five, how many, um, oh, God, I don't know how many thousand performances we did. But we ran that for three years, you know, and then did gigs. And we were invited to open stadium, you know, the Ellis Park Stadium yeah, for the Curry Cup final. We entertained the crowd, you know. So there was crazy things in those years, you know. Um, and um, that was that collaboration, the two of us. It was Chalky and Crispin, you know, that sort That's of thing. It. Like, well, uh, Palace was Forsey and Vince, um, and then Chalky and Crispin. So, so this double act that we kind of had going, and we used to bring it to life in different, you know, iterations. <laughs> Do you, do you think there's a, a kind of magic, a sort of simpatico thing that happens with people who you just you click with and can work with for that long? Because people try to manufacture it and it's impossible. Right? Yeah. It's just somehow… Somehow it clicks. Also, it's the yin and the yang. It's just, like, it's quite funny. In real life, Billy was the boozer and the wild one, you know, crazy one. Uh, and I was like, shy kind of… But when we… When we were partners in movies or plays, I was the bad guy. You inverted guy. it. I was a rough guy. Billy was the innocent little teddy bear that all the girls wanted to hug and, mom, and be mummy to, you know. So <laughs> that was the kind of so, – and it always worked. It always worked. Billy was the slightly doff character who was looking for – and I was the bad guy. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's get drunk, you know. <laughs> no, I mean I, – So playing opposites. It's often hard for me to even – separate the characters that you because there's so many of them that have been part of so many of our stories yeah, yeah and when i when i think about i don't think about one character you mentioned a couple of them now yeah and i just thought it's in my head it's almost yeah. like an amalgamation yeah. is it difficult for you when you're playing a new character that you've written or when you're you're reviving an old one as you're doing now with yeah. the palace mm. 
is it difficult to kind of separate those in your head because you've played so many? Yeah, look, I mean, this palace now obviously is young guys playing it, so I'm just around to advise or give, you know, they want to ask any questions, they, they do it because we were in our early 30s when we did palace. Um, so, uh, and, you know, I'm writing stuff. If I do stuff for myself now, of course I'm writing older characters, um, but it's nice to see youngsters coming in and playing the stuff. But what I mean play. is when you, when you tell these youngsters yeah, now, you're yeah. giving them advice on how to play the characters, uh, do you have to like dig into the depths of your memory for this, this stuff or is it still crystal clear to you? Because you actors have an ability that I'm very jealous of. It's yeah. that you can learn stuff, you can perform stuff, and you can re-inhabit those characters almost at will. I've seen it happen yeah. and you're one of those people who could do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we, you know, we remember the times and it's like part of your, um, in fact, there's a movie I did it several, just before COVID called Mr. Johnson about a guy who has a motorbike accident um, in 1973 or whatever and wakes up 47 years later. It's called Mr. Johnson. It's on sure. Showmax, actually. Okay. I, think, I think it's still on, on Showmax. Good. Yeah. And, um, Check that out. Look, it's not, I didn't write the movie. I came aboard <laughs> late. In fact, I wish I'd come aboard earlier to, 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 to work a bit more on the script. But it's a guy who has this motorbike accident. So he wakes up like age 73 and thinks he's 25. Because he's he's been in a coma for forty seven years, sure. <laughs> and um, sometimes I feel like that. Like um, I said to the guy, the director, I said, "You cast me. I'll give you the language we used in seventy three. Because he wakes up and says, "Hey, you guys got a coke float?" And he walks into a internet cafe and goes, <laughs> "I like a coke float, please." <laughs> he doesn't know what the fuck internet no. is, you know. No. And, uh, and so the guy says, looks at him, oh, "You got a you know uh, a brown cow." <laughs> You remember Coke floats and brown yeah, cow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're too young. No, no, I, I, I remember Coke floats. <laughs> yeah. Brown cow. What's, the brown, the, what's yeah, brown, brown cow? Brown cow was milk and um, a milk and Coke was a brown cow. God, people like, they used yeah. to drink that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was milk and Coke or an ice cream yeah. and Coke. I can't remember. You, but, you, you guys didn't know what you were eating and <laughs> drinking in those days. Yeah, hey? yeah, yeah. But um, it's crazy, like parfaits and what else do we have at roadhouses? But anyway, um, so, so it was nice to be able to – Go back, you know, like guy sees a cell phone, doesn't know what the hell it is, you know, starts bleeping and freaks out. Um, so, you know, often I feel like that, like Rip Van Winkel, you know, you wake mm. up after, after. And also, people years. ask you to reprise old stuff because they loved it so much. Do yeah. you ever get annoyed when people, they, they say, you know, it's like any artist. I mean, yeah. I, I heard an interview with John Cleese the other day where he yeah. said, He's so sick of doing the Monty Python oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, because people ask. Oh, and he's, no. he's done so much since then, he says. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, he's more proud of some of the stuff he's done recently because it's so much more pithy. You know? Like I hate it. Like, people come, oh, you're the comedian. I'm right. not the comedian. I'm the, I write comedy and I do comedy sometimes, but I'm not the comedian. You know? Billy was more of the comedian, but he also didn't do stand-up comedy or anything. He was a comic, comedy actor. Actor. But also a straight actor, a very serious actor. You know? I mean, I still get guys saying, you know, in, in Heel Against the Head, I wear these um, Y-front underpants with the South African flag. I remember. Yeah. And I say, I support my country. My country supports, supports me. me. Yeah. So I still get guys, you know, in a shopping mall, hey, I support my country. My country supports me. And uh, people are looking, what, what? And then I have to explain to yeah. them because you one forgets. That was like 95. So how many years ago is that? We're coming up 30 years. Two years' time, it'll be 30 years ago Jeez. that we did Heal Against the Head, you know. Oh, it's a Crazy. Lot of, it's a, well, listen, time flies. You, you mentioned this movie and COVID. Yeah. I mean, COVID was bloody hard on everyone yeah. in, oh, wow. in entertainment in this country. I think yeah. a lot of people lost 
not only their confidence, yeah. they lost a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Some I mean, of them lost their livelihoods yeah. completely. Yeah. I, I wrote three plays. I got no money during COVID. So two and a half years. You were, pr- you were productive, but there's but no income. I was income. right. Yeah, yeah. So I had four players lined up at the end of COVID to start. I mean, I've still got players lined up from. But how did you survive? Oh, God, it's a long story. My wife is a sculptor and she makes um, um, his animals, his hares and cats and dogs. And uh, and um, so, you know, she just kept selling those during the during COVID because she could just courier them and stuff, you yeah. know. So that kept us going. If it hadn't been for that, I think, well, look, I had to sell my house. Fortunately, my daughter bought it. And, uh, but, it's, uh, I mean, look, it, it, it ruins so many people's lives, especially yeah. in our industry. You know, I mean, I met great people who went on to Zoom. New York, I met actors and thespians and uh, theatre practitioners in New York and see 38 people on the screen, meet people I normally would never have met and exchanged ideas, but there was no money there. It was just a whole new avenue. And do you think it's coming back? Because people have been starved now for a while and I think they're hungry for entertainment. Uh, They are. And, you know, there are also connections. I made connections during COVID because you're sitting in your own little cave you know nothing else to do so you have to to do at least we had the internet and laptops and stuff like that you know but Um, you're probably the best person to ask this there's no there's no substitute for that uh, that relationship between a a live audience and someone on a stage that's what i missed most i was talking to someone the other day about um this thing about live theater you know we made a movie of palace um and it was a great movie but it was um, it was harrowing to watch. Now, a play, uh, the, the reaction between audience and the actors is amazing. I mean, there is a roadhouse at 2 o'clock in the morning somewhere in the boxburg benoni Brackband Triangle <laughs> at 2 in the morning in 1982. And you are there. You can smell the burgers and stuff being cooked sure, inside the special, roadhouse. special, hey? Yeah, it's special. And they're, 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 this incident happens in front of them. I mean, I've warned the actors they're going to get screams. I mean, they're going to get people yelling and shouting. I mean, the guys are shouting at me, come right, come right, you know. And also, like the K word, it was used yeah. like 40, 50 times in the play. It was 1980. And you're authentically putting that in. It's exactly as it you're, was. You're not going to do what they're doing in America now and no. try to sanitize no. these things. You can't. You see, if we sanitize Palace, which is a real incident at a roadhouse in 82, in the dark days of apartheid, then it's like saying, oh, these guys didn't swear at the no, black guy. It wasn't as bad as it they said it was. It wasn't as bad as they said it was. So you have to have it warts and all. If you don't, then you really, then, then what's the point of doing it? I'm so pleased you're doing that because there are many people who, just to avoid controversy, yeah. will, will clear out anything that yeah. doesn't fit with doesn't the modern understanding of yeah. how, how the world works. And what they're doing is they're actually doing everyone who survived and those who didn't a huge yeah. disservice. Yeah. Well, look, you can't be woke with Palace. There's no, no. way. You can't. Um, oh, do you think those people will come? Uh, yeah, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of moaning and groaning. I mean, like You're uh, ready for Vince, it, smokes, Vince smokes on stage, okay? Oh. So he's had this whole thing about, oh, can he light up? I know in England and Germany, for example, you're not allowed to – that you say, no, you cut all smoking from the play. So I said, look, if you're doing a play that is, you want to be historically correct, a guy lights up. He takes his Absolutely. unfiltered smoke, he lights. Absolutely. So if you want to get, well, I call them vegetarian cigarettes. You know, those, they haven't got nicotine in them. They've got 
I don't know what they are. I don't know. It sounds like horrible, but you know nasty those, shit. You buy that. You can buy them. They're, they're cigarettes that haven't got. They make the smoke. Yes, because you the need smoke. the visual stuff for <laughs> yeah, your show, yeah, right? Yeah. So you can buy those. So they're using those, or they're yeah, using they're the real. Yeah, they're using those. Okay. I call them vegetarians. Is that because they now got smoke alarms all over the place? No, no. That's that's because people are. Um, the, the, for the non-smokers and the well, there's a lot of non-smokers. You know, people don't smoke anymore. You know, my parents <laughs> still smoke. They smoked the whole way through my childhood. Yeah, so. I'm okay. Yeah, I think we've we've become so sensitive. We've gone yeah. like to the other extreme, yeah. where now we've got these people who can't even see a show and make yeah. a distinction between first of all fiction and non-fiction. Yeah. Second of all, the past and the present. Yeah, yeah. And it's not as if there's like 25 guys on the stage smoking. It's one little cigarette. It gets smoked yeah. for about three minutes and then gets put out. But to, anyway, you, know, you have so. to waste your time thinking about this. Yeah, about you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So let's just tell people because the, uh, the the play Saturday Night at the Palace will once again grace the Gauteng stage. It's 41 years yeah. after the debut. Yeah. Back in 1982. Um, it's going to be at the Joburg Theatre, 28 of July to 28 August. So yeah. for a whole month, but book now yeah. because it's gonna, this is going to sell out. So Saturday night at the Palace going to have the same impact, I'm sure, as it did yeah. back in the 1980s because it caused okay. trouble for you well, then. It was. Look, we, we – well, trouble – We the, the, you see, the nation went crazy for it because it starts off with comedy. Like I, I love to do with my plays, uh, these two guys arrive in the night. They've been at a party. There's been a lot of booze. And it's very funny for about – Half an hour, 40 minutes is very, very funny. And then it suddenly, then we see South Africa, mm. South Africa 1982. And we traveled the world to the day. We went to Sweden, we went to yeah. Ireland, we went to Old Vic in London. So it, it, it was impactful wherever we played. Um, and it was part of our lives for three years, four years. And then we made the movie, of course, you know. So yeah. it was. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing that you decided to set it in the East Rand because the East Rand's provided quite a lot of talent from yeah. this uh, this country. Huh? We have, we've yeah. got a princess in Monaco. We've got a, a, a an award winning actress in Hollywood. Yeah, and we've, remember Ber Bernaldus Niemand. There's old, uh, tons of people who've come James out of Phillips. there. Yeah. It actually seems to be a place of of uh, yeah, great unique talent. The cherry faced <laughs> lurches. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right, so. When, when you put something like this together, do you ever think about legacy? And I don't mean putting something on that you wrote back in 1981, 82, yeah, yeah. but I mean your, the whole, whole catalogue of your work. Yeah. Do you think about legacy? When you're writing it, obviously I, not. Not too much, but I like, well, funny enough, I've just um, finished, I, I lost a lot of Making Like America that we did in 86, Marius Vez, myself. Nikki Rebello and um, Lida Meiring. And it was a play wow. about guys setting up a robbery. It was a kind of like almost like a standard type thing mm -hmm. around the time of Stander or before. And um, um, it's a great play about the robbery that goes wrong and the cops outside. And, it's, um, and I've always uh, – I thought I've got to publish this play. I've got to get it together. And so I've just finished. I want to bring it back again. Yes. Because it's so South African. It's so – I mean, the mother comes out the back and the cops are outside. She says, is it Mandela? Is it Mandela? I think Mandela's, you know, broken out of prison. So there's so many things about the play that are, are, are historically amusing but also pertinent. And I like, I'd like those things to live. I'd like someone down the years to, to do that and say, listen, this is what we were. This is South Africa, you know. We have a history. It's been like, you know. So, um, so in that respect, I'd like the players to live. 
So I'm not looking at a legacy as such, but I need, you know, I think Adam Small said to know, to know the future or to know where we are, you have to know the past. You have to know the past to know where we are now and also where we're going in the future. Which, again, is one of the reasons I get irritated when I see people trying to uh, rewrite history or trying to sanitize it or, or, yeah. or, or make it fluffy and, and inviting, yeah. is that they, they very often are the same people who've never read a history book. Yeah. They haven't picked up. Uh, any kind of historical knowledge along the way. Yeah. And if you don't know that stuff, you can't really know where you are now. Absolutely. And also what happened? Why? What What was it like? You know, you need to know. The kids today don't know. You know, often I do like a kind of a masterclass uh, in storytelling and mm. talk about my history. And while I'm telling them, helping screenwriters now, how do you write a good screenplay? How do you write a good play? So I give a class. And I'm amazed how little kids today know about what the past is like, what happened, what was apartheid, how, what, what was it like? And, um, you know, the, the play is to show it, you know, and um, it's, it's important, I think. There's never, you, you, you don't get writer's block, you don't sometimes sit there and go, I don't have any material. Where yeah. do you get your ideas? Uh, look, I get, you know, I, I've, I'm over it now. I used to worry about it in the past, but, you know, you hit the wall all the time. Now I, do, I just leave it and move to something else and then it comes back again very quickly. I so you have like a, a, a bunch of projects yeah, going yeah. at once. I've always got a whole bunch of stuff. I've got a movie going or a play. And, and, and then, but I don't stress anymore if I hit the wall because I know it's going to come back. Because I've had so many <laughs> years. I mean, I've written 38 plays and about 15 yeah. movies. So, so. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> That's really, that's quite something. I mean, some people write one good one in their life. You know, there's this interesting comparison. I think Malcolm Gladwell made it between, um, for example, he chose Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. Bob Dylan wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs, yeah. of which a few of them obviously became massive, massive hits. Yeah. But he never titivated and, yeah. and reworked and thought about this again and rearranged the, the instruments. Leonard Cohen wrote Hallelujah. He worked on that thing for like 40 years and was never happy with it. Wow. I mean, you're obviously more of a Bob Dylan. You know, Picasso <laughs> yeah. was, the, was yeah. the artist, and then I think he used Monet as the, as the opposite. Yeah. Or no. Cezanne, Cezanne. Mm. <laughs> no, I just, I just uh, write. I mean, I, and I, you know, I find a new story, not every day, but often I run into new stories and I hear something or I pick up something and then I think that's interesting and then I might do some research and then follow and it, it just up. pours out of you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was telling stories when I was three and a half at the Marfontein Dynamite Factory wow. Nursery School. You know, they said Paul stood yes. on a little box and he entertained the whole nursery school. And when we lived in Messina, I stood under the baobab tree and just improvised stories. So I, <laughs> I've always like this performing and storytelling has always been like part of my life, you know. Have any of your kids inherited this? Uh, yeah, my daughter, she teaches drama at St. John's. So, okay. Yeah, she was interested in it. I'm glad she's teaching. She's got a great job and she teaches drama. She's a great teacher. Uh, and so it's like what I call a regular job. I mean, I, I mean, I always laugh, you know, I say that um, Billy and I, when we did Heel Against the Head, that put my three kids through varsity. If it hadn't been for Heel, I mean, we were playing to a thousand people a night at the Civic. Jesus, uh, that's incredible. For four, 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 four weeks on the trot, toured the whole country. And then afterwards, after that, it went down again, <laughs> down to our bones of our ass again. But um, so that, that's the business, you know. It's, when you freelance in theatre, it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. And, and, but, I mean, I would never have changed it for anything. I mean, I've had a, such a ball, you know. And the stories, I mean, that's why I've got to finish this book 
Yeah. I was going to write one called Flying with Flynn, just our 40 years. I mean, it's enough to fill three books. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I like also the fact that you'll include stuff of, you know, your, your fathers and yeah, your yeah, mothers and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. Because um, I, w- I was talking to Peter Dirk Ace a little while ago, yeah. who, just like you, is an absolute legend in South Africa. And he was telling me, and I don't think he's told too many stories about his, his own parents uh, and yeah. his mother and the piano and – you know, his friendship with Sophia Loren, which is something I think a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. It's just, it's fascinating to hear these things because it gives us a more complete picture of the yeah. person. Yeah. And all these characters you've played yeah. does muddy the water a little bit when it comes yeah. to you because we're like, who's Paul really? Because we think you're this amalgamation of all of them. It's crazy, you know. You, I mean, you call these things like when we played at the Old Vic, for example, they had a sort of a past and present party and they had a party for all the people who were working on the West End at that time. And there was Christopher Reeves, our Superman. He was yeah. he was there with wow. John Gilgood and oh my God. Uh, 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 Glenda Jackson. I mean, you're, you're talking about all the of the legends. And, you know, luminaries. There was, there was, and there's, there's, there was before Christopher Reeves had his accident, yeah. you know, Superman. You know, right. you know, obviously everyone knows. Sure, the horse. Uh, and, um, and he had a ball patch at the back. I said, geez, Superman's bald. You know, now people don't know that. Of course, when you're in the movies, they wear these hair pieces yeah, and stuff. Cover it I up. Said, you know, and things like that that people public don't kind of know that, you know, that wow. this this actor, everyone thinks, oh, he always looks great, but he's actually got a ball patch at the back of it. So these funny things that come up, you know, in, in the course of your life. And there's Billy and I pinching ourselves. We're, we're playing, and there's a royal box at yeah. um, in the old Vic. And, oh, there's a prince and... Uh, who's that princess so-and-so come to watch the play? And it's all like part of – and here we're doing Brackpan, Benoni, Boxburg. But isn't that cool? <laughs> I mean, those are – you know, someone once said to me that at the end of it all, you've only got the memories. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll hope that they'll flash through in a really nice slideshow before you go, and it yeah. better be bloody interesting, right? Yeah, and yeah. you've got enough slides in there. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. you think of some people and, – and I feel very sorry for some people because their lives may never be as exciting as just a week in your life. <laughs> but when you look back and you take stock and you're actually grateful for the things that you've done and seen, you yeah. must have some incredible interactions with people and stories stored up in your head. Yeah, yeah. yeah Even and, ones and, that you've never told. Connections, you know, connections. Look, I mean, you know, one has to be also realistic. I mean, South Africa's not it's not this is not Hollywood or, or being a big star in England. I mean, I always think that if Billy and I had had the same kind of career in the States or in England or anywhere else, We'd we'd be doing fine, you know. We didn't oh, really, you know. Absolutely. We wouldn't be because uh, our industry here is really small, you know. And we kind of realised that when we toured overseas, you know, you get to places like Copenhagen or something, you, you see the theatres where people are arriving by the train load, and uh, the profile is so much higher, and the people are so much more part of. Um, Elite's the wrong word, but you're in a different stratosphere, you know. There, they, they, they're, they're um, not in they're not in survival mode. Yeah, and they, they have time yeah, to yeah. consider culture, yeah, yeah, entertainment right. in and a it's, serious it's way. It's really respected right across, you know. There's, a, or the, at least there's a, there's a big enough audience for it, you know. In South Africa, you're kind of all scraping the barrel. And, and, and do you think that's got better or worse? Uh, Look, there's a lot of, like, television now sort of, you know, it's just like blowing up, you know, like Showmax and Netflix and all of these. Like, that's why I do a lot of these workshops because mm. the hungry monster of television will never end. Mm. And it's, that, that field is growing. Mm. 
uh, when we were sort of starting out and for many, many years, we struggled because television, you get one or two gigs on television. Now that is opening up at Amazon now. So South African writers and actors can be seen worldwide. You know, people go on to what internet has done and everything. So I think it's opening up. Theatre is always going to have a bit of a problem because you have to go there, buy your ticket and go and sit there, be live. But there's still nothing to beat that live experience. I mean, you get such a vibe. Even seeing a musical, seeing it live is much better than watching it on your laptop, you know. Definitely. Um, uh, uh, It's unforgettable experiences you have. So theatre, the live experience can never be matched. And, um, you know, when people say theatre's dying, it can never die because you always hunger for that connection between the actors on stage and the audience. Something happens, you know. There's a two-way communication. And whenever you used to go and perform overseas and you did a lot of these, you did, you know, you did Sweden, Denmark, the Middle East, Australia, France, Germany, the US, UK, you went all over the place. Did you have to tailor any of that to the audience or did you just hope they'd get it or did they just get it? Um, Look, uh, people see, see, like you might be in Chicago and see a Polish play, you know, and Americans are going to oh, see yeah. it. Yeah. So it's, so I mean, people all over the world yeah, we'll seen s- what Dostoevsky wrote. Yeah, we'll see they might not be miserable Russians, but they get it. <laughs> yeah. You'll see different languages. Sure. Um, uh, you know, in Sweden, we thought when we took Palace to Sweden, we thought, ah, oh, these guys, they're not going to know what we say. But a lot of them speak English and they followed the play. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, hmm. um I mean, I, I haven't been to Australia. That my plays have been there. When my I've, I've, my plays have been like I haven't been to the Middle East either. I've heard but you're not missing anything. People have done my <laughs> yeah, people have done my plays there. Okay, so, but right. I've been to like UK and and France and and and, and America. Um, um, but um, yeah. Uh, do, do you? Is there any way you still want to go? Is there? Is there yeah. anywhere that, like you've got a, a burning ambition oh, to yeah. either be on stage in that okay. country or? I said I've got to play New York. I've got to oh, play yeah. New York, and that's yeah. a, that's like quite funny. Like, <laughs> but um, that's that's what I want to do because I played London and I you know played Munich and uh, Copenhagen and places, but I want to play London. I mean, I want to play um, uh, New, New York. York because. Um, kind of New York for me is like a centre of the universe. I mean, I love the city. It's just it is yeah. I've been there a few times, um, uh, and uh, it's like you could see an alien on Broadway walking down the street, and no and one would bat an no eyelid. No one would bat an eyelid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I mean, you, you never know who's listening. There might be some uh, New York uh, agent who's currently looking for someone to yeah. put something on, but. Yeah. It is, it is, it's an energy thing, isn't it? Yes, yes. Like there's just such and, an energy yeah. in that place. And, 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 and everyone and, wants to be a star, everyone wants to be yeah. noticed. And but also the mixture, the, the people, the, the, it's every kind of human and non-human thing. Yeah. You, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's weird. It's like the, it's a melting pot of the world, you know. Um, that's why I love you know, when Trump goes on about can't let immigrants in. I mean, America, that's just immigrants. They are just immigrants. You know, That's what makes it so special, that you can suddenly feel. Absolutely. You know, the Italian side of, of New York. You can still be Italian, but yet be American, you know. So the return of Elvis Dupisani was, was the play that won more awards than any other play in the history of South African theatre. Yeah, we just rattled them off. That's that's bloody amazing. I mean, what do you think it was about it, that story? Well, we just exploded. We're like a tsunami across the nation. Look, no one had ever seen a play like that before. Um, 
I mean, it's funny, you know, Ethel was doing Master Harold and the Boys and great plays and stuff, but they were very, like, what Pal- Palace was, a, a kind of a visceral experience. It, it, mm. it, it, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I laugh, some people said a lot of people went left for Australia after seeing the play because <laughs> they didn't want to live in a country like this. Sure. I mean, we used to have security police coming, you know, by the time the government woke up to what the play was doing, 20,000 people had already seen it. So yes. it became, people said, oh, have you seen this play? And that happens once in a not once in a lifetime. Once every generation, you have a play that people say, oh, "Have you seen this? If you haven't seen it, then you haven't lived kind of story." And that's what Palace was like. Because, and I think it was because it was such a. I mean, we used to have people arriving at the theatre saying, "Where's the screen? Where's the screen?" We said, "There's no screen." What do you mean? Where's the screen? Because so, they'd no, never seen a play. Before. They'd never seen a play. So now people are going to come here. What's that thing on the stage? That's a roadhouse. A motorbike's coming on this stage, and you're going to see people. Uh, they couldn't believe. So that's, that's what was happening. People who'd never, ever been inside a theater before. I mean, um, that, that's, that's also a hell of insane. an accolade, hey, yeah. to bring those people in yeah. and to show them what could be done on a stage. And also give them that experience. And that's, you see, you don't find people in a movie house going, come right, come right, man. <laughs> but in, when I had guys with tomahawks in the audience when Vince starts getting heavy with September, you know. At two o'clock in the morning, and there's only Forsey there to help him. Uh, audience members wanting to jump out of their seats and blocks on me. You know, they wanted oh. to jump up and beat him up, beat, beat the character up. And um, and then also in Bloemfontein, when the rector of the University of the Free State brought his uh, lecturers, and um, full house. We played four weeks in Bloom, sold out every night, five hundred seater, uh, because people had heard about this play. And in the middle of the performance, this. Rector stands up saying, Leons, Leons, lies, lies, to take these people away. They wanted to ban us. And 40 of his colleagues got up and they stormed out of the theater. And the rest of the audience stayed to the end of the play. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, these experiences as a performer, you know, <laughs> it's a movie. It happens on a movie screen. The actors don't know what's happening. Oh. But when it's live and you there you're on this knife edge, what's going to happen now? And you hear this rector of university screaming at the top of his lungs. You realize how you've affected someone. And they say, can theater change people's lives? Oh, definitely. Well, there's an example. Oh, yeah. And, and screaming. Because and this was 1983 when we were in Bloom, okay? So now in the dark days of apartheid, everything's lovely. The blacks have their place. The whites have their place. The country is fine. Hmm. See this play. This is what's happening at two o'clock in the morning. Did you ever feel um, like you might have got yourself into too much trouble? Yeah. You know, Peter Duke has always said to me, you are so lucky you did not write this play in Afrikaans because it would have been taken off on the first night. Really? They would have walked in there next day and said, off. Ooh, sorry, bang your mic. That's off, right. off the stage, off, finish. They would have closed it. But because we were in English. Well, so these English guys, it, it, uh, they, it, it kind of slipped under the radar. And by the time they woke up, 20,000 people, as I said, already Because you, I mean, you could very well have gone to jail, hey? Uh, yeah, yeah, no. With a, this was a uh, very serious thing. People, again, because they don't read history, I mean, at that time, you would have been locked up. Yeah. You would have been considered a terrorist just for putting on a play. Yeah. And, and saying what we were saying in the stage. Like, some guys said, this doesn't happen. We had people coming, you know, afterwards in the foyer, we beat them in the bar downstairs because we was in for a dope after yeah, beer. sure. People saying, no, man. Some people saying, that come in, this doesn't happen. You know, I say, what do you mean it doesn't happen? We, so have I sucked this out of my thumb? Mm. You go to a roadhouse at 2 o'clock in the morning in Springs and 
have a look. See what happens. See what's happening. Because, I mean, I, I played soccer for Isco Fana Bale when I was at school. I went to had a mate who lived in Fana Bale. And during the holidays, I'd go and play. And we'd go to the roadhouse afterwards and see this on a nightly basis. I mean, that's where the play came from, from my real experiences of seeing things. You know? Tell me about what Joburg was like in, in the, the, the 70s and 80s. Because I've heard stories from people who are much older than me about the – Libs and the Greeks and the Poras and the Jews and everybody was kind of there were these power factions, especially among young guys. Yeah, they were all vying for the girls' attention. I mean, what kind of a world was Joburg then, from Look, your memory? I, I was a bit young still at that time. The um, Ducktales were kind of like duck before tales. me. Yeah, there were Ducktales. So what were the Ducktales? Yeah, they were crazy. I mean, when I was twelve, there were Ducktales around. I was a bit older then. They'd kind of moved on already. But um, when I played in Whitbank, I used to play soccer as an under twelve, and I remember this Portuguese guy coming. They'd call him Porra, and uh -huh. you know, and then he had a, he combed his hair with a little ducktail at the back and had these stove pipes oh. almost like those Chelsea boot time things right. pointed boots you know yes and um yeah, it was crazy times. And I think that came about, you know, a lot of the fathers were in the war, mm -hmm. okay, and then they had no youth because they went off to war at age 18, right. 19. So their sons wearing tight jeans or tight trousers or stovies and stuff, they'd make them burn their trousers and that you can't wear them. <laughs> so there's a jealousy between fathers and sure. sons. And that's what gave rise, I think, to those kind of wild days, you know, and those characters. But um, it must have been, I mean, to even catch the tail end of it, which yeah, you seem yeah. to have done. And there were those things, the Poros and the Libs and the yeah. Aitais and the, and the, you know. I mean, the, the, the south of Joburg still has a reputation, you know, yeah, from those days. Yeah. It doesn't earn it doesn't earn or deserve it anymore. No. I mean, everything's very, very yeah. cosmopolitan now. You see, things, but also things have changed. There's much more integration now. Yeah. But, you know, racism still exists, and that's why Palace is so important. Oh, racism is still out there yeah. on a hectic scale. And I mean, anyone who America, pretends it isn't, but, I mean, but it is easier now to be different and it is easier now yeah. to integrate into things. I mean, in those days, you just didn't see these people mixing. No, no. except if you're in the States. I'm telling you, in the States right now is hectic. Yeah. This MAGA Oof. universe is, we're get, they're going back to beyond apartheid. It's beyond apartheid now, what's happening you in Georgia. So? Oh, yeah, it's hectic. I mean, these new Repub these MAGA Republicans trying to homophobia and so it's rampant racism it's rampant so america's in a did you place. ever did you ever experience post 1994 um any feeling that you were maybe sidelined because you were white uh yeah not not because not i mean so let's let's not i mean uh, i think a lot of you know, your success was before and a lot of it was yeah. after. So yeah. you're probably in a good position to be able to mm. gauge this. But certainly arts and culture have kind of fallen off the priority list for this government. Yeah, look, they did before as well. You know, the Nats didn't care. They like, hated they arts wanted, and culture. Yeah, they, Unless they, it was like very conservative Afrikaans yeah, stuff, right? They loved it when you did Shakespeare and, and all that sort of stuff. and didn't. But not Othello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Othello. Yeah, you, often, you never found, yeah, there was very few Othellos in those days. <laughs> well, also, you couldn't. You had to have a white Othello painted black. Oh, really? That's the only way they could do Jeez. that, you know. But, Madness. Um, yeah, yeah. It was Madness. crazy in those days. I mean, the stuff that, the hoops that we had to go through to put stuff on. And, um, yeah, yeah. So I suppose it is thing. easier to use a vegetable cigarette now. Yeah. And have to put up with that nonsense that you did Yeah, then. yeah. But, but after 94, obviously, there was a, a ministry of arts and culture was supposed to have been, you know, something that promoted mm, yeah. South African 
art, music, mm, yeah. theater. And I think theatre in this country has had a very, very tough time. Tough time. And, you know, the, the sad thing is they don't realise that art and culture and stuff, it's the, that's the kind of – that's what you start off with. That's your springboard to that's, everything that's else. That's how you, you know? measure a yeah. civilization. Yeah, that's right. And hear the stories and um, – you know, because the stories tell you where you come from, where you are, where you're going. That's what stories do. And I don't think they realize that. You know, I think, they think it's, they also, think it's when funny. They, when they meet someone like you, um, I think they, they first of all think of all the characters that you've played and, mm. and, and perhaps they, they laugh or perhaps they smile or perhaps they cry, who knows. Yeah. But you definitely have an effect on people. But the other thing is that they probably imagine that you spend all your time around you know, other people in theater, mm. which isn't yeah. necessarily true. No. That's your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what yeah. sort of stuff do you do to relax? Because you're an entertainer. We, you, when we're relaxing, we watch you. I do. What no, do you do yeah. when you're relaxing? I do what everything everyone else does. You watch know, sport. I've the, yeah, yeah. I've always liked <laughs> sport, and, but I do. Uh, you know, this. Yeah, um, it's it's no, it's just a normal kind of existence. You know, um, even even though I'm I'm often writing a lot of the time. I spend a lot of the day writing, um, but uh, spend weekends with family and stuff. It's 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 just a gig that I like doing. It's like I could never have been in an office or done or been a production engineer or I think of my dad's life and that I could never handle doing that schedule maintenance and work telling people how they to do the product. Yeah. You know, I I I'm a storyteller. I like I like people. You know, I like uh, hearing stories and sharing stories and. Um, um, yeah. And are you friends with a lot of people that you've worked uh, with over the years? You stay in contact with them? Yeah. Because sometimes in, it's a project and then when the project's yeah. over, you don't see each other anymore. Yeah, look, in and out of the industry, I'm friends with people in and out, right across the board. Um, yeah, look, when you're doing a play, it becomes a family for that period of time. You mm. know, it's always the thing about you become a family and it's sometimes like, I mean, the final night, like Fordsburg's finest last year at Monte Cassino, our fi final performance, me and uh, Chi Mende, she's a Zimbabwean, she's a brilliant actress. It was just the two-handed, just the two of us. And on the final night, audience like standing ovation and um, we just hugged each other and just burst into tears. And we were both like howling like babies and the audience is going, ah, we're going, because ah, we knew this is it. It's over. You know, we've sure. we've done this whole long thing together every night. And, you know, we, we're each other's buddies. You know, mm. we, we, we hold each other because two of us on stage, something goes wrong, other one's going to bail the other one out. So you become very, very close. And that's the great thing, too, about theatre. It's like you create families every time you do a, a show, you know. You're the kind of person who can do um, improv as much as you can do yeah. scripted stuff. Yeah. Um, is, there, is there a preference is mm. there, as a performer now, not as a writer? Obviously, I, if you're a writer, you want people yeah. to follow your bloody script. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. why go to the trouble of yeah. writing? No, look, I don't like improv. I mean, look, I mean, things have uh, – Ford's Works Finest, opening night um, uh, in Cape Town, at the Theatre on the Bay, uh, where she's on stage alone and there's the – my brother phones, he's coming down, a racist brother – He's coming down to beat up the blacks at, the, at this thing. She's so she's this black woman on stage, uh, in 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 the um, uh, it was a used car lot. She's in the office, and my brother's phoning to come. He's coming, and uh, on opening night, the because the guy had mixed the memory sticks, um, the, he, the voice didn't come on the f call. So the phone rang, 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 and suddenly he was dead. And she's waiting. So where's the fucking phone call? And I'm off stage. If there's no phone call, the play ends. There has to be the phone call. 
because the plate can't move so what from happens? there. So I'm standing there going, it's the end of the play. And it's not even halfway through. So I just came on and I said, I said, I've just been down at the corner Greek. My, my butt was there. He came in, he's coming. So I had to do this whole, sure. I had to tell a whole story yeah. to say this guy is coming, so we better get you out of here. So I was able to put the play back on the rails. Oh my God. But I tell you. And the I audience was, had no I idea. Had no idea. But I'm shaking <laughs> like a leaf and she's looking at me going. Wow. Ah. And this is, the, this is the joy actually of live stuff because you have to think on your feet, you know. It's like this is But you love it. I can tell you love it. Yeah, you, no, said, no, you said before we started this conversation that you you're enjoying it now just like you enjoyed it at the beginning. Yeah. That's and, so important, yeah. right? And you know the funny thing is, you know, every time I go on stage, almost like every night I go, because Billy and I, whenever we perform together, we should stand in the wings and go, We're gonna hoy, we're gonna hoy, we're gonna hoy, we're gonna hoy. <laughs> and we did that every night. So now my ritual now, since Billy has died, I stand in the wings and go, We're gonna hoy, we're gonna hoy. So I always kind of like my Billy's my like patron saint, if you like. And I always remember in the wings. So um that night when she when that was happening, and I thought the play is ending now. But if it's like like your death, you know, when they say before you, if you, when you die, your life flashes before you. I'm going, the play is over. The crits are going to say its thing. No one's going to come in Cape Town. It was a complete weird thing. And I almost felt this hand on my back shoving me on stage. It was like Billy was in the wings going, get on stage, man. Get on. Like, because I, I, I normally wouldn't get on. But I almost like felt a push. And there I'm on stage. It's so like Billy had pushed me on stage. It was weird. It's a weird kind of experience, but I really kind of felt that. That well, Billy said, get on there. I mean, a lot of actors and, and producers and directors and people who work in stage and screen stuff yeah. say that those places, those theatres, yeah. if you're going to choose a place to be haunted, that's a good place. Yeah, no, the ghosts. The Phantom of the Opera. But oh, yeah. it's because there's so many people who've poured out their heart and soul on yeah. those stages. Yeah. And if you were an actor mm. and you died, you would want to come back and haunt a theatre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, I walk, I got, that's why I still work at the market theatre a lot. A lot of people say, oh, geez, that part of town. and that. I know. So go in the daytime, go on a Sunday afternoon, three sure. o'clock, no problem. And I've, I've tried to convince them now to start, have Saturday matinees too. So you have a, a Saturday matinee at two and another one at five and do the same on Sunday. That's four shows you can take care of during the day. Because I know a lot of people say, a lot of my fans, so-called mm. fans, or people say, come and see my plays. Oh, you're at the market. Oh, mm. I don't go into town anymore. Yeah. They must make a plan and make people go. But I'll go into the market every night. I go into that hallway, that pub around the corner there. There's this big archway, which is the biggest archway in the Southern Hemisphere, and I walk into that thing. Um, I, I feel the ghosts. I kind of like, really? I sense them, Barney, Billy, Ramalau, um, you know, all of these guys, I'm thinking, Jesus, I sense these. And there's a kind of a presence. I'm sorry, I don't believe in ghosts or anything, but I, I have that sense that they're kind of still there. If they're anywhere, they're going to be there, you know. That's very special. It, yeah, it is very That's special. actually goosebump stuff. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I can't think of a better place to, uh, to to draw this to a close. You've got work to do. I don't want to yeah. keep you here for longer than I promised we'd keep you here, and I think I've already broken my promise. Saturday night at the Palace is from the 28th of July to the 28th of August. Go and watch the show. It's absolutely awesome. Paul has uh, has been working on this for 41 years, <laughs> and it's back. I mean, he put it on a long time ago, but it's back. It's back. So thank you so much, man. What an absolute pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you, Gareth. It's been thank great. You. It's really good to see you, and uh, best of luck with this and all the other things that you're still going to be doing. Okay, thanks thank a lot. Thank you, sir.
Cliffcentral.com